How's everybody doing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds, God, to what you would have to speak to us this morning as we talk about this most amazing gift, this most amazing thought you've planted in our hearts and our heads that we'll live forever. And we'll live forever in your eternal presence and your eternal pleasures and in your eternal reward by following Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Our scripture this morning, if you want to turn to it, is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. It's a very familiar, cha- uh, very familiar verse. Uh, I'll read it, but I think many of you know it and are used to it. By the way, one quick thing. Ray and Melissa, are you here this morning? Yes, you are. Do you need any food tonight? No, you just need helpers. But you have all the food. And somebody's cooking the food and preparing it. We just show up. Life point, does it get any easier than that? You just get to show up. I'm going to encourage you to show up, and I hope by the end of this message, you'll realize why I am encouraging you to show up. All right, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the questions that I often get is, is Tom, what happens after we go from this world into the next? I mean, is that even knowable? Does, does the Bible even talk about that? I mean, can we really kind of get a sense of what is coming after we have our final breath here on earth? And the good news I have for you this morning is the Bible very much addresses uh, sort of a lot of the general steps of what's going to happen after we take our final breath. And so since so many people kind of ask that in one form of a question or another, I want to start with that and then allow that to impact what our take-home is. So kind of go with me a little bit on this journey, but what happens, because, I mean, if there is one thing that we are all guaranteed, we are all guaranteed to leave Earth one day or another, right? For some of us, it's years off. For some of us, it may be days off. But every single one of us is going to face what I'm about to talk about. Nobody gets off Earth alive, amen? So let's... Let's start here. The first thing that happens when you breathe your last here and open your eyes into the afterlife is first, we are greeted by angels. Uh, we are, they either carry or most likely lead us from this life into the next. A lot of people, they talk about something called transition. You'll hear chaplains talk about this. You'll hear uh, you know, pastors and, and talk about transition. And a lot of that is the process that the body goes through from going from this world into the next. And a lot of times you'll hear people talk about seeing people or seeing angels or hearing people talking that are in the room that are not in the room. Uh, If I have met almost all of the families I've ever met in the nearly, in, in the 20 years of ministry I've had, they all seem to have a story of a grandma who was dying or a great grandma or a great granduncle or whatever. And in their deathbed in the hospital, they began to look around and see things. Or maybe when they took their last breath, for those of you who are able to uh, come to uh, 
Nancy Walker's celebration of life, life service. I thought Forrest shared that appropriately, and I reshare it because I capture the joy of how just before Nancy passed, uh, she was sort of sleeping in a comatose state, and she lifted up her eyes and looked up and saw something. And, and what did she see? What do I believe she saw? I think the Bible's pretty clear that she saw angels, that there is an angelic host that sort of takes us from this life into the next. And why is that good news? Because I know a lot of people, they're afraid to die alone, that nobody might be there. And I can tell you, as we go from this life into the next, it is not a lonely experience. You will be greeted by beings filled with such love and such power that there won't be any fiber of your being that's scared or afraid. In fact, you can't wait to get to where they're leading you. Now you may say, ah, oh, come on, Tom. Let's, let's find a Bible verse that talks about that. Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 16 or it's gonna be right up here on the screen. In Luke 16, Jesus is talking about a parable the rich man and Lazarus, and he says this, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that Jesus was able later to raise from the dead. A beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The angels carried him. Lazarus dies and what is it? He is greeted by angels that carry him uh, into, you know, it's the euphemism for heaven there. Abraham's bosom is another way that it's told. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some of you may say, well, you know what, Tom? That was a popular Jewish myth of the day, and Jesus was just sort of tapping into sort of a popular cultural thing, you know, that that's what happens. Well, here's the thing. Jesus affirmed some of the Jewish cultural myths, but not every one of the Jewish cultural myths. In fact, there were many Jewish cultural myths that Jesus flat out denied. For example, he didn't necessarily say that every person who was wealthy would be blessed by God. He didn't say that uh, every person who was married would have that marriage happen in heaven. There were many myths that Jesus corrected and said, no, actually that's not the case. And then there's a handful that Jesus actually affirms and says, in a sense of saying, that is the case. And I believe this is one of those scriptures where Jesus is affirming that there's sort of an angelic presence that guides us into the heavenly realms. Remember that scripture where Jesus said, when one person becomes a follower of Jesus, what happens in heaven? There is a celebration there is a party there is angels dancing and rejoicing that somebody repented and gave their heart to christ and i think a few of those angels are the first ones that are ready to greet us and say man we have been celebrating you amen first thing we are greeted by angels second we are in the conscious presence of jesus we are in the conscious in other words we are aware we are in the conscious presence of jesus paul says to be absent from the body is to be present 
with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Jesus says to the dying thief, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't see a lot of evidence for sort of this notion of soul sleep, that we're sort of sleeping and then we kind of awake to the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, Jesus seems to really show us, and the New Testament really seems to show us that there is an immediate sense of if we're not here, we're with him there. And uh, of course, we see that there are different bodies for all that. Jesus had an earthly body that he moved around in earth. He had a heavenly body that he, uh, he had in heaven. We see that in the transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17, it says that Jesus' body transfigured into his heavenly body and his face shone. And, and then, of course, the body that we're all awaiting is the resurrected body, which is sort of our earthly heavenly body that jesus shows us in the empty tomb but the important thing here to gather is we are in the conscious presence of jesus we're not just sort of floating out there in the eons of the universe but we are with him all right third thing there is an award ceremony Yes, there is the, they have the, the Oscars and the Grammys and all that kind of stuff. They have a big old award ceremony in heaven. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute. I thought to get to heaven that it wasn't about what we did. It was about what Jesus did. That's absolutely correct. This award ceremony has nothing to do with your entrance into heaven. It's not about how good we can be, how much we can pay, how many angels we can bribe, or if we can tell the best joke to St. Peter at the pearly gates. It's about the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection is the ticket for all of us to go to heaven. So then you might say, well, what is the award ceremony about? Well, Jesus gives a little bit of a preview of it. You see, for some, like the thief on the cross, they're going to hear, you made it. You made it. Come and be with me. This is, you're going to be in the kingdom that was prepared for you from the beginning of time. And for, for some people, they're going to be glad they hear that. But for others, they're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been in charge over little. Now I will make you in charge over much. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says this. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Are we talking about getting into heaven here? No, because there's nothing you can do to get into heaven. That's about what Jesus has done. So what is the reward that we're talking about here? He's talking about those who found and fulfilled their call while here on earth. There is an award ceremony for that, according to the Bible. The fourth thing, there will be the rapture and the resurrection and the return. So after the angels sort of usher us into the presence of Jesus, and after there's sort of this award ceremony, the stuff really gets going. The show really gets hopping. And there will be both a resurrection of the dead and a rapture of those who are alive. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, right? Come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
and then after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so be with the Lord forever. There's the resurrection, rapture, and the return of Jesus to earth. And that return of Jesus on earth ushers in a period that the book of Revelation calls the millennial reign of Christ. And that's the fifth thing that's going to happen. So carried off by the angels to the presence of Christ, the award ceremony, the rapture, resurrection, and return, and now the fifth thing, the millennial reign of Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, says, and they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Who's they? Us. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The re- it says the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. So these are those who trusted in Christ. This is the first resurrection. And John says, blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Jesus will be the world leader and will usher in a thousand years of God's reign. And what I love about this is, you know, for a lot of people are like, you know, I, I, I want to go to heaven. That sounds great. But man, there's a lot of places on earth that I haven't just gotten to see yet. It's, it's really too bad that I won't be able to visit some of these places before the new heaven and the new earth. You get all that in the millennial reign of Christ. The sixth thing, six. So after that thousand year reign of Jesus on our current earth, there's a final release and a final battle with evil. If you go down that chapter in verse 9, it says, they marched across the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. What is Jesus saying here? The battle is not really a battle. They all gear up for war, and Jesus opens his mouth, And all evil is obliterated. The devil is gone. The demons are gone. Sin is gone. Death is gone. Depression is gone. Mental illness is gone. Pain is gone. Sorrow is gone. Hatred is gone. Violence is gone. Fighting is gone. Guns are gone. Nuclear bombs are gone. It is all gone. One sentence. Isn't that cool? That's Jesus. And then seventh, there is the final judgment. This is the final judgment with the lake of fire where all of those things I just told you about go. And the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21 verses 1. And this is why I say, see, the millennial reign of Christ happens in Revelation 20. There is no new heavens and new earth then. So we're talking about this heavens and this earth. In Revelation 21, John says, then, then is a chronological word, then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Heaven explodes into our physical universe and essentially merges with earth. And this kind of my understanding of it is I think when Jesus comes and has his final battle with evil, I think the power unleashed is so awesome and so glorious and so magnificent that anything on this current earth is just obliterated by the glory. 
Thus, we get a new heavens and a new earth at the end. Now, some of you, at this point, you're kind of asking yourself, you know, Tom, can we really believe this stuff? I mean, this sounds like the plot to a, a low-budget Christian B-movie, you know? I mean, come on, Tom, really? Angels and demons and heavenly bodies and earthly bodies and award ceremonies and all of this stuff and guff. I mean, I know it's great, Tom. You put a lot of those pieces together, but I mean, can I really trust what you just said? I mean, it almost sounds like a fairy tale. It almost sounds like what you might find in Aesop's fables, you know? It almost sounds what you may find in a comic book or what you might find in a, in a novel, a big novel. But I mean, come on. This is like stuff you think might happen, but can't really trust it. It's just a good thing to think about. It's just a good thing. I was careful in each one of these points to back up everything I said with Scripture. So I'm not just trying to tell you what I think. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible shows us. And here's what I want to leave you with. I don't know the future. I haven't been there. And I haven't been given that authority. But I have trusted this book for over 25 years of my life. Nothing else in the Bible has proven false. Nothing else in the Bible has let me down. Nothing else in the Bible has made me question God and say, you know what, maybe he's not faithful. Maybe this is a whole bunch of hopes, but not something you can really put your faith in. Maybe this is a whole bunch of, I, it'd be nice if it was that way. It's a nice thought, but can you trust it? And I've come to this conclusion. If I can trust all of the other parts of the Bible that deal with the here and now, why would I not trust the parts of the Bible that also deal with the future? Are they any less trustworthy or powerful just because they haven't happened yet? I would say they haven't. So I would say as much as this may sound like a fairy tale and a whole bunch of high-minded, over-our-head stuff, I want you to really grasp some of the things that were just talked about here. First of all, you will not die alone. You'll be surrounded by people who have been rooting for you. Not people, but beings have been rooting for you all your life. Never judging you. Always encouraging you. You'll be in the presence of Jesus. If he was clear to the thief on the cross about anything, it's that today they were going to be together. There is rewards. There's no sacrifice on earth that you're making that God doesn't see. And you'll be rewarded for it one day, if not in this life, for sure in the next. There will be a resurrection and a rapture. These bodies, they're the seeds of the you to come. There will be a millennial reign. What that is, there's a thousand theories on it. I don't really quite know all the details. I can just tell you this. It'll happen because it's in the book. It'll happen. All of the pain and suffering and evil, God will defeat one sentence. Fire will come down and consume it. And finally, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be animals, music, cities, a whole bunch of work to do. 
you think earth is exciting? Actually, there are times when earth can be really boring. There will be never a moment in heaven that is boring. In fact, heaven will be so full of work and excitement and praise and worship and love and activity that you will be so busy you will not even realize time is passing. It'll just be the most beautiful moment forever and ever and ever. Isn't that awesome? That's heaven. A couple of things to send you home with. First of all, number one, in light of all this, how to prepare for that. First thing is, redefine your treasure. Remember the verse we started with? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All of us were programmed this side of heaven to, to pursue finances, add material wealth. For many people, it's what we live for. It's our purpose, and it consumes our every goal and motive. That is earth. And those are the treasures of earth. So what is the treasure of heaven? The treasure of heaven is people. See all the treasures of earth? You can't take it with you, right? You never see a U-Haul following a hearst, right? But you know who you can take with you? You're sitting next to them. Or maybe they're on the job. Maybe they're at your work. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're somewhere other. That you can take with you. The treasures in heaven that we store up are people. One time in the first church I was serving at, uh, I was young, very young. I had, had met Mary Tanya yet and single. And I was serving at the church. I don't know, remember if I was hired yet, but it was the church that eventually hired me. By the way, yesterday was the 20th anniversary to the year of entering full-time ministry. I'm a little proud of that because the statistics these days of pastors making it 20 years are like like less than 10%. So I mean, it's, you know. Anyway, uh, the pastor had, had uh, we, we had this woman down the street. She, she was a very grouchy, very mean woman. She yelled at us all the time. And, and I remember just riding my bike. I, I, I rode a bike then. I'd, I'd, I'd go around her just to avoid, you know, very mean, very grouchy. But the pastor was like friends with everybody. So he went down there. He made a friendship with her. And one day she had to move. And she asked the church for money. It was going to cost about $1,500, $2,000 for her to move. And then I, I don't know if the church had the money or not. I wasn't privy to the information then. But I remember I get a call. And the pastor says, hey, I need you here Saturday morning. To do what? We're going to help move. Great. I Don't worry. I, I had a good attitude. But my first thought was, that's not how I wanted to spend my Saturday morning. But we showed up, 7 o'clock. You know why we showed up? Because the pastor asked us to be there. And I thought I was the only one. That was kind of my, my first reaction was like that. But then I saw there were all these people, all these guys. Some of these guys I knew, some of these guys I didn't know. One of those guys was a kid, 16-year-old kid. His name was Bronson. First time I ever met him was because we had been called by the pastor to serve this grouchy old lady together. We became friends that day and have been friends for the last 25 years it's one of my best friends but I remember as we were going up she said pastor I didn't think this I mean she, I thought you were going to get a moving company I thought you were going to bring down a check I thought you're going to bring down money we're I'm not prepared I I you know I thought I didn't think it was going to happen this way he said I could have brought you money but I brought you something more valuable than valuable than money I brought you people. And these men here 
They're going to move you out of your house. And they're going to put you in your new place. No man is a failure who has friends. Amen? Redefine your treasure. Number two, be intentional in working on your reward. There will be no envy in heaven. All of us here will honor the missionary who worked in the back jungles of Brazil. We'll honor the pastor suffering persecution in China. We'll honor the rich man who gave most of his wealth to missions in Africa. That is their call, and that is their reward, and we'll be happy for them. But my question for you this morning is, what is your call? What is your reward? Have you ever thought about that? What is your call? What is your reward? In the early 21st century, 15 years ago, sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denkin, they coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism. They interviewed 3,000 Christians born after 1982. And they wanted to find what, how they felt Christianity was. And they came up with three distinct conclusions of what they, their view and practice of Christianity was. The first one was, God wants people to be nice and fair to one another. The second one was, the goal of my life is to be happy and feel good about myself. And the third one was, God doesn't really need to be involved in your life unless something goes wrong and you need it resolved. Moralistic therapeutic deism. 73% of, they redid the study in 2017, 73% of Christians believe that this is the primary goal of life. And it's of, of no uh, shock that 73% of Christians can identify no distinct call to their lives other than to work, live, and die at some point. 73%. And you may be part of that 73%. And not to be clear, a call is what we do for God, not what God does for us. And so God says, finish your race. You have been called to. What we do does matter in this life to God. And I can assure you, more of you than you realize, you got some things that God is asking you to do for him. Maybe it's somebody in your family who needs to be loved and they're unlovable. Maybe there's somebody you're supposed to help and you've been putting it off because you just don't, don't want to inconvenience yourself to do it. Maybe there is a call to missions. Maybe there is a call to church without walls and you just haven't heeded it yet. You know that it's been knocking there, it's been knocking there. You've been setting it aside almost like dieting in January. You know? You've been setting it aside and setting it aside. I can tell you this, what God's knocking on the door of your heart is way more important than our New Year's resolutions. What's your reward? What's the call that God has placed in your life? Number three, let God be your courage. God gives us the courage to do supernatural things when we need it, not when we don't. Uh, Corey Tin Boom tells a story that really demonstrates this well in the early 1930s trains had really come into holland where she lived and they had faster trains 
Now remember, in the early 30s, people were not used to going faster than 20, 30 miles an hour. I know for us, that seemed slow, but for them, that seemed really fast. And Corey was terrified of the train. And the only thing that would take away that terror was if she held the ticket in her hand and she could read the ticket. And her father once said to her, Corey, I know you're afraid. But in spite of the fear, when do I give you the ticket? And she said, right before we board. And he said, Corey, that's like God. He often gives us the courage to do things right before we do them, right before we're about to embark on them. Missionaries in Africa a lot of you probably think, man, those people were born for that. That's what they've always wanted to do. They got so much guts, they're so brave. I could never be brave like that. You talk to them. They were scared. They were terrified. They didn't wake up one day and say, hmm, I think I'll just go and leave all of the safety of America, leave everybody I've ever known, go thousands of miles away on another continent on this earth in some jungle where anything could happen at any time. Yes, that sounds like a great life. Let's all do it. They were called. And at the moment they stepped out in faith to do it, the courage to do it was there. Some of you, Church without walls. It's a little scary, isn't it? It's down in a rough part of Welldale. Right off the river. I remember one person I was really trying to talk into. Now, see, for me, that naturally doesn't scare me. I've been in rough parts of the world. But for one person, it really scared them. I said, you know what, come with me. And I promise you, when you step off the van and you step on there and you get serving God, the courage you need to do it will be there. And that was exactly what happened to them. Let God be your courage. And finally, walk by faith and not by sight. There's a story of a father who was telling his unborn child I can't wait until you come out here. I can't wait to show you the world. There's mountains and valleys and rivers and food and all this great stuff. And the baby said, man, you're crazy. Everything I need is in here. It's dark, it's warm, it's moist, I'm fed. I have everything I ever need. The world is dark and watery, not light and full of air. That's a lot of times how we are. We can't imagine heaven because we're like babies in a womb that can't imagine this world. And yet, just as the baby in that womb is only a few inches away from a world it can't imagine, we're only a heartbeat away from a world we can't imagine. How do we get there? How is all of this stuff, all of these promises, everything here, how is that all available to us? It's available to us by humbling ourselves, by going to the feet of the cross and saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'll never be good enough. I'm riddled with this cancer called sin, and I need you to help me. 
all the thief on the cross said to Jesus was, Jesus, will you take me where you're going? And Jesus said, today you will be with me. Why don't we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, take me where you're going. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Fill me with your Spirit that I may be carried off by angels to be with you rewarded by you, raptured, resurrected, returned with you. You are all I need and all I seek. In Jesus' name, amen.